I think this is a golden age for ABM and you know exec engagement. I think there's lots of organizations who have seen the value of ABM and an exec engagement, as I say. To do it right, as I've said all along, you know, takes time, takes investment, and takes commitment across the organization and takes a needs alignment between marketing, between sales, and also senior management to be successful, really. And fundamentally, it starts with insight. We believe that to solve the biggest, most complex marketing problems, you have to blur the lines between intuition and reason, imagination and logic, the theoretical and the practical. Join us as we reimagine problem solving with leading B2B marketers on B2B Marketing Solved. We're your hosts, Richard and Benedict. Okay, Mark, welcome to B2B Marketing Solved. Morning, yeah, great to be here. Do you want to give the audience a little bit of an introduction about you and where you've come from? Morning, morning, yeah, great to be here. Look, um, I'm Mark Larwood. I head up public sector and large enterprise Marcoms for Virgin Media O2, a company I've been at for about three and a half years or so. Prior to that, I've had you know a varied kind of ambling, meandering, if you like, career in B2B marketing in technology for about 20 or so years. I'll whisper that quietly. <laughs> I've worked at small businesses and I've also worked at large businesses like Atos, Philips, small ones like M-Blocks and some you know, payments um, organization called Exaris as well. Yeah, I've got a varied career, always B2B tech and love talking about you know, B2B marketing and where it's going. Fantastic. And Benny, why are we here today? Today, we're going to be talking around ABM, which is a topic that we have covered before, but specifically, I'm hoping we're going to look at how we inject creativity within the ABM process and also look about how you can properly sort of express your unique characteristics as a brand within the sort of the uh, parameters of ABM. So an exciting conversation where I like to start whenever we talk about ABM, which is probably just a personal thing for me, is to get a little bit of a definition from you about what ABM is, just to sort of like contextualize that question a little bit more. When I speak to marketers, you find various different interpretations of what ABM is. And I think that people are grappling with it and they're getting a better understanding of what it is and what its application is. But I think there's still confusion in the market. So platform for you, how would you define ABM and its application? Yeah, I think the boundaries of ABM sort of seem to shift year yeah. by year, right? But I'm quite purist when it comes to ABM, really. I think if you're not thinking of audiences of one and you're not thinking about how you can bring insight, knowledge, understanding of a customer mm. on a one-to-one basis, then it probably isn't real ABM. Mm. I think some of that scaling kind of activity is fantastic marketing and really, yeah. really important, has its place. But I wouldn't really think that about that in the terms of ABM that we talk about. Excellent. Well, I think when we had the conversation with Chris Willman previously, he spoke about that one-to-one level as being almost the nirvana that we should be trying to strive towards. So, I mean, it's it's almost great that you're setting that as the sort of the North Star which you are pursuing. So just to make give a little bit more sort of tangibility around what that would look like on a one-to-one basis, you know, based on your experience, just paint that picture of what really, really good, effective one-to-one ABM marketing would look like. 
Well, I mean, it starts with insight, right? Yep. It starts with understanding, getting under the skin of those customers. Mm. And I think only when you're really thinking about smaller audiences and you're thinking about the individuals within that business, you're not thinking, you, you guess you're thinking about the the drivers and the, the challenges that, that the business as a whole have, but you're really thinking about the individuals within that. What are their kind of, you know, their, their personal pains? What are their personal challenges? What are the personal gains they can have from working with you? If you get to the crux of that, then you're able to construct, you know, messaging, which is consistent and pushing out into those organizations on a regular and consistent basis, then you've got the recipe for a great mm. ABM program. But I think you know, fundamentally it starts with that insight and it really starts with trying to understand what those customers are, what they need, and critically how what you've got to say can help them, but in a distinctive and in a salient way. Yeah, great. And I think that it's obviously there's a little bit of a risk of going down a rabbit hole with, with what I'm about to sort of talk about now. But, you know, we talk about understanding the the customer and insights is such a critical part of any successful sort of marketing program. Now, when we're talking about understanding the customer within the context that you've just described there, are we talking about understanding them purely in terms of this is the job role that they have within the the organization and this is their list of responsibilities? Or are we actually talking about going one stage further and understanding them as individuals from almost a behavioral and personal psychological capacity? Yeah. So, I mean, you use the word nirvana, right? And yeah. I think that what you just discussed in the second point there is the nirvana, right? You mm. can really understand what makes those people tick. Mm. I think that's what we should be striving for. Mm. It's not always easy. And you certainly can't do that for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 individuals who may be on the influencing or you know, part of the influencing unit within that business. You could probably do it for a few of those organizations, yeah. um, those individuals, though. There are tools out there that which help you do that, right? But you know, there's no kind of substitute for actually talking to people who know those yeah. people, talking to those people yourself, and just getting a view for you know, what they're saying out there in public and also you know, how they are with other people, I think. Cool. And I'm going to go further down the rabbit hole. I know I was nervous about doing this, but I do think it's, it's interesting. I think especially for sort of people listening to really understand, okay, well, what does it look like and what do I need to do? So as you said, when you're trying to sort of get to that level with 30 people, impossible, realistically, but it is viable, as you said, if you have a select handful, maybe of, of two, two or three, could you tell me what is it that you're, the process almost that you'll go through to build that picture? And what would be those different nuances and characteristics that you would be able to almost put down on a page associated with that yeah. individual? I mean, you asked me for the secret sauce a little bit here, aren't you? But <laughs> <laughs> only six minutes into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just looking at all those various yeah. sources of information that yeah. you can have. And I think the skill isn't actually kind of synthesizing that into something which t paints a picture of that person, a, a pen portrait, if you like. You know, that, those are, you know, there's a lot. Most of the people we want to target are probably saying things on social media, right? What is What are their interests? What, what are their kind of their, their pet? What are their pet you know, soapboxes, if you like? What is it that seems to be interesting them? If you can sort of f find some commonalities there, you know, that, that's a good starting point. You know, what does their annual report say? Where are they in the organization? Who are they connected to? All of those things start to build that picture. But I, it's not hugely scalable, right? Mm. I think it's a very um, labor-intensive kind of yeah. process of trying to get under the skin of these organizations and the senior executives, or actually maybe not even be senior execs, yeah. right? Maybe just some you know, key influencers within the program. But getting under the skin of those people is not, yeah, there isn't secret sources no. of that really. It is a manual kind of, you know, 
process of talking to a lot of people and understanding what's really going on in that business. Mm. And obviously you go through that process. Fantastic. But prior to going through this process, presumably as a marketing function, you need to sell in the value of ABM to the Mm. business. How have you gone about that in your role or in previous uh, roles that you've had to be able to put ABM on this pedestal and show the tangible business results off the back of ABM? I mean, ABM is a, it's a long-term investment, right? It doesn't always deliver immediate results. I think which is why, you know, it takes a leap of faith in some ways. You know, we often talk about measuring you know, revenue, reputation, relationships for ABM, right? And those are the sort of three main measures of it. The revenue piece takes a little while, right? You've got to have a leap of faith that relationships plus reputations and understanding these individuals and being able to you know, work with them more closely ultimately drives to revenue, which then there's a lag. So selling that into a business is is often a challenge, right? You know, and um, particularly if you're a sales-led organization, which is, you know, pretty much looking at the end of its nose for its, mm. for its results, that's a bit of a challenge. I, I think, you know, when we've done that process, I and mean, it's a continual process, right? So to continue to prove the, the value of the programs, it starts by sort of showing success that other people have had. There are lots of case studies out there where, you know, investing in understanding a business, understanding in ha- and having a um, consistent, coherent, strong message into that organization, specifically, you know, a specific proposition for that one organization drives results. Mm. But I think, you know, having that kind of that leap of faith that those relationships are important. And if you speak to more people about more relevant things that ultimately that leads to revenue, yeah. isn't much of a leap. But it is it's being confident that over a two three year period of time, your investment and it's a high investment in one to one ABM will deliver will deliver success. It's what I was about. I was going to say, as you say, it's not too big a leap because it's actually quite intuitive. Mm. Now, if you explain that to another human being, that if you get a better understanding of that human being and you can build a closer relationship, you will get a better return. Like as I said, it's intuitive. So, if marketers, I think, spend the time to actually. Think about how can I explain this in language which is going to be understand human to human. It can become quite sort of a compelling case, yeah. especially if you can get those sort of case studies to support that. The only thing I would say is from our experience as an agency sitting on the other side of the fence, sorry to any marketers listening that it isn't you, but sometimes we get briefs and people just say, we want to do ABM. Right. And sometimes I feel that the marketers haven't actually understood the lag time or the leap that it takes to actually properly focus on a robust ABM strategy. Do you have any advice to the marketers listening to this that are thinking, you know, we we want to focus on, you know, fewer people and a, and, and a more robust ABM strategy, but maybe haven't quite understood exactly what that means for their time or the organization's investment? I think certainly be clear and upfront about what ABM is and where it fits. It fits when you've got customers which are spending significant amounts of money, probably on a kind of annuity annual basis, you know, half a million, if not in the millions plus really. If it's not that, then probably you're just looking for, you know, strongly targeted, effective demand generation type activity, right? If ABM still fits, you're in that sort of space. I think the key thing is to be really clear and upfront in terms of what it is it can achieve for you and be clear with senior management, all stakeholders really, that it is a long-term investment. Yes, you will see benefits in the short term and the things that you should be looking for in the short term is more conversations with customers and prospects, more engagement with them, more interest in what you've got to say. If you're trying to measure revenue in the short term, then probably ABM isn't the program that you want to be sort of looking at, really. 
And you said there that you feel that really the accounts that would qualify are ones that are spending half a mil plus. Obviously, that will be relative to different businesses. Yeah. And it's all sort of, uh, as I say, relative. From your perspective, should ABM only be deployed for customer retention? Or do you feel it can also be used very effectively for customer acquisition? Yes, is the answer to that. I think yeah. <laughs> absolutely it can be used for customer above. acquisition. Yeah. I think if I think back to my sort of background, I think I probably started using ABM techniques in that kind of one-to-one -one basis with new prospects, yeah. working on bid big bids, you know, multi or tens of millions of pound bids, working on those, really focusing on getting the insight, mm. understanding the businesses, you know, giving us the edge to be able to win those win those deals and focusing marketing marketing resource specifically on those individual accounts. So absolutely it has a has a yeah. role to play, particularly in that sort of, you know, the the top end of the prospects that you're going after. Great. So we've got I think we've made a, had a really good conversation about where ABM is appropriate, its benefit, but also understanding the time frame within that sort of benefit is going to be realised. Uh, and we also talked about the importance of the insights, you know, really getting that sort of understanding of specific individuals, ideally at almost a behavioural perspective. So we've got all of that understanding. We've got the commitment to go for ABM. What does it start to look like when you're actually you want to be engaging those individuals? Because I think from from my perspective, it's got to be a collaboration between marketing and sales in terms of that outreach and engagement. But I'm really interested to know what you've seen as being the most successful sort of like mediums and means to achieve that. And also how that's evolved over the past couple of years as we've gone through so much change um, with the pandemic. Okay, there's lots in that question. There is there, a lot in that question. I think the point you made around the sales and marketing alignment is really, yeah. really important one. You know, I like to think of um, the ABM team isn't a team of marketeers. It's a, it's a broader team of that, of marketing and sales together. It has to feel like one team, one goal, you know, aligned behind a consistent set of messages and actually a consistent proposition for that one customer, you know. So I think, you know, having that single-minded proposition for that one customer is really, really critical, you know, and that's built based on insights, as I've said earlier. And once you've got that point, you know, and everybody's sort of bought into what it is you're trying to say to this one particular customer, it, what's important then is how you communicate that out to those organizations. We've identified the stakeholder map. We've identified the people that we think are, you know, the, the prime kind of A1 targets. Mm. And there may be only, you know, two or three of those, let's say. But beyond that, there's a there's, there's a levels of tiering as well of people. You want to be seeing the sorts of messages and also being being impacted by by our marketing activity. I think in terms of how that kind of manifests itself in market, it could be through a number of ways, right? You know, at the smaller scale, at the very least, we're sort of building content which talks to their challenge, mm. presents our solution to that. It might even be some, just you know, some bid support type materials and it's very base, but it's about that consistent message which underpins that and message which is built on insight. The challenger methodology comes into this a lot, right? You know, what is it that we can do which will challenge the thinking within an organization, within the group of people that are, are working there? What's our position that we can take and how can that be distinctive from others? I think, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our content starts with bringing that kind of challenger kind of approach how can we teach them something they don't already know how can we tell them a saving they didn't even know was possible how can we find them help them find a way to increase their top line in a way that they didn't necessarily aware of, aware of themselves beyond that you know there's there's some very kind of you know bold 
opportunities to use out of home type advertising yeah. you know we've liveried up taxis before now you know made sure there's ads outside the house the, the organizations that we want to target the offices of those organizations mm-hmm. want to target any number of things that you can do it comes down to budget yeah and how much you you know and time frames i think that you you're happy to to build with them and you talked about sort of like you know one of the most effective ways is you know if they are sort of pitching for business and you can provide that su- support for that do, do you ever and, and you know look at that individual and you look at them within the context of their own career growth and you look about how you can support them in their sort of professional development and progress within their company it just feels to me that that would be a really effective way of building that real sort of like trust and engagement between the two parties yeah i think i, I don't know if necessarily always been so overt about those sorts of things but clearly where you can play to some ego or some development kind of people that people want you you can give them a platform right ask them to be part of a report that you're writing you know to comment Mm -hmm. on it you know ask them to share a platform with you at an industry event for example all of those things we've done in the be on a podcast yeah (laughs) (laughs) all of these things are you know that you can kind of you know use to influence people right cool Excellent. And when we talk about the relationship with with sales, so when you're garnering insights, how prevalent are sales in that process? Do you know, do they do they share insights that they've got from speaking to other colleagues? And if so, how are you then collating that as a business to make sure everything's in one place? Yeah, I guess you know it all starts with you know, well, the very outset. It starts with a workshop, right? Get all the people that might know anything about this organisation, throw it in. You know facilitate it by some strong marketeers who can then draw that into a a, you know, a, a document which then sort of is a, synthesis, yeah, yeah. a synthesis of that exactly and then use that as your basis to you know play around with messaging but also look at you know do the desk research as well which pulls in the con the, the kind of the, the insight you can get talk to other people any number of things you can do if you've got the time and the resource to do it and that's the kind of the scalability of it. It becomes a challenge because, you know, it's very people intensive if you want to do it at that sort of level, I think. Yeah, but presumably you've agreed on the key target companies and then the key target individuals to double down on those at the start of the process. Yeah, look, for us, it's a handful of accounts, right? Yeah. It's not tens of accounts that we're looking at. It's, you know, it's any one time. It's you know, six, seven accounts that we're really sort of really, really, you know, delving into it in, in huge amounts of detail. Yes, there's another group of 20, 30 or so, yeah. which you're kind of thinking of in a one-to-few basis. Yeah. But that pure kind of one-to-one, really focused marketing can only really be done in our instance anyway, by, for, for a few accounts. And in your instance, uh, so you went through a, a merger in June, July last year. So there's nearly 12 months worth of collaboration, of, of working together. And obviously, I'm sure that comes with its own challenges. But when you're bringing two businesses together, how was your experience in kind of aligning the key targets? Was it completely different with the two organisations or was it quite similar? I think relatively quickly, we came together as one organization, mm-hmm. right? At least on the surface. You know, we've got one large enterprise and public sector team that I'm a part of, which is Virgin Media O2. And it, it looks after um, O2 customers. It looks after Virgin Media customers as well. Business customers, that is. I think it, it, one of the biggest challenges is sort of personalities and, you know, different sort of ways of working. And that's cultures. Been a bit of cult- well, exactly. And that's all wrapped up in culture, yeah. isn't it? You know, different sorts of approaches to things have been It's probably slower. So it's very quick, very easy to integrate teams at the surface. Mm. It's a much slower burn to get people to working together, feeling like they're part of one business and one, one culture and 
all moving in the same direction. I think the we're actually going through something similar now with our business. We acquired another one. And I think what's really intriguing about the O2 and Virgin Media businesses is they both had pretty prevalent brands in their own rights, mm-hmm. right? So to try and bring those two together from a marketing standpoint is a great opportunity, but also I'm sure it comes with its challenges. And when we're talking about ABM, obviously one of the main challenges is which is the overriding brand that people are now going to be exposed to? And how does the work that's previously done on both parts feed into that, essentially? And has that been a a challenge for you from a a, a brand perspective to ascertain which brand you're you're trying to get in front of people and, and the messages that go alongside that? Yeah, I think the decisions in terms of which brand to use when and how is, that's our brand team's area of expertise. My role is, you know, to to take whichever brand it is to market to our customers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're currently using Virgin Media O2 where it's relevant. We're using O2 business where it's relevant. We're using Virgin Media business where it's relevant. At the moment, we're operating on that kind of parameters of having three brands. And to, I think it's almost a nice like sort of segue back to us talking around ABM. And I think at the, the very beginnings of this conversation, you talked about the importance of expressing the brand within that sort of activity. I'm just sort of wondering, like, how do you, when you're going hyper-personalized to the, the account and that sort of individual's needs, how do you make sure that you are retaining that brand integrity and you're expressing what is sort of still core and authentic to um, the branding question. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a look and feel part of the brand, right? It has to look the yeah. same. It has to also have the same sort of tone of voice. And I think at its core, we're always reflecting back to that kind of core message, that core positioning, yeah. that core kind of brand values that we have. And we're, we're playing around the edges of that to take a more distinctive approach to our to our customers. I think what's really important, though, is having something distinctive to say, which resonates with mm-hmm. that customer. And I think that comes from having a a strong position, having a, a point of view on something. It's about thought leadership, really. And you know, having something which makes your customer think differently about you. And I think that's where the tie in between thought leadership and ABM is really, really mm. important, right? There's no point going to market with something that be, could be you know, have your competitors color and still be believable. Yeah. It has to be something which is authentic to you uh, as a business and resonates with them to drive that kind of salience in market. Mm-hmm. And this is a really interesting topic because that intersection between, you know, hyper-personalization and thought leadership is, is something that obviously is very close to us as a business. But when you, you talk about that, there's a lot of times where we speak to marketers and they think sometimes more is better. Uh, you know, the more content you get into the market, the the more you kind of get in front of people, that's very important. But what you've just said there is it has to be a very pertinent topic and it has to move a needle in a way that maybe other stuff isn't. Mm. How have you in your career gone about ensuring that the messaging that, and the thought leadership you're creating to individuals or even from a more broader marketing sense does resonate with your target audience? Well, again, I think that, that starts with insight, right? It starts with research. I think our, our best pieces of thought leadership are research-driven. Mm. And when we've actually commissioned something, primary research, which has brought us something that was actually counterintuitive sometimes, but something that we didn't necessarily know beforehand mm. and which resonates really strongly with those customers and those prospects or with the market more generally, actually. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Would uh, say here, here to that. I think that good thought leadership and thought leadership is actually still very, very relevant. I know that mm. it's now become a term that people are familiar with and people may be feeling, oh, well, is that a time to sort of move on from thought leadership? Actually, it's not. You want to be a thought leader. It's really, really important within a marketing context. But good thought leadership is about saying something additive. And the best way to say something additive is to do research, which finds out something new. Yeah. It's really, really important that marketers do make that investment if they do want to get that sort of distinctiveness um, and cut through within the market. I completely agree. Yeah. You know, we've got many people whose sole job is to, you know, create that content mm. and, you know, generate that thought leadership. We're looking internally to our own experts, but we're also mm. looking at externally to other organizations and, and as I say, do that, that primary research ourselves as well. And that, that's really interesting. We've gone through a, quite a significant period of growth as a business ourselves and research is at a core to it. And it started through research to inform thought leadership content, right? But when you actually break down the value of research in general, you can spin it off into so many different areas that help the business and that help marketing function. So whether it's getting insights about a certain type of persona or it's about giving the business a, a conversation that's really PRable or really shareable. Ultimately, there's nothing like research when it comes to having something that in the market that no one else has, because ultimately you've commissioned something for your benefit. And one thing I always find quite interesting, I think this has changed over the last number of years, is five years ago, maybe people used to come to us to try and create research to get an answer that they were hoping for out right. of the research, you know, craft questions in a way. And now I think that it's understood in the market to create research and try and look for the areas that they didn't know and the, the the answers that they weren't quite expecting, because I think that that is more natural uh, when it comes to creating research, but also more ownable when you're talking to a, a target audience, mm. because ultimately it's something that they probably wouldn't have heard. And ultimately, if you've got something that differentiates you from your competitors, that's also really, really interesting stuff. So, you know, massive advocates of research from our, from our side. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to now just try and uh, get into a place where we've just spoken about the importance of research. We've spoken about being hyper-personalized, but maybe we could talk more about being really creative when it comes to ABM. Have you got any examples, Mark, where you've seen ABM done excellently well and really creatively in your in your career? Define creative. <laughs> well, I, you I, define creative, I, my friend. <laughs> you know, I think... I think if we talk about creativity in its broadest sense and, you know, finding different ways of doing something, not just in how something looks, you know, I think there's countless examples of where we've done that. I think all of, I like to think all of our content is creative, right? But I think that creativity does start with that insight and that mm. research aspect to it. And I think applying, you know, primary research specifically for a particular opportunity is quite creative. I don't see a lot of people, you know, putting the effort into doing that. We do, we, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, really trying to understand individual customers and individuals within that. I think a lot of people talk about it. I'm not sure I necessarily see that everywhere. I think the whole challenger methodology has been used a lot, but it's really, really effective. And that allows you to be creative in how you talk to your customers, right? You're not telling them, you're not just answering the question that they're setting. You're actually challenging them to think in a different way. Mm. I think that's creative. Is that enough though? I think we've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. And I think, you is ABM becoming the norm and therefore it's not differentiating how do you go up to that next yeah next it is level. difficult to get to that next level and I think that's where we've done things along we've recently set up a customer innovation community I um, mean you know roll back a few years we we set up an advisory board 
of our of, of our senior customers. We use that to drive insight and get some information as well, as well as share things and test things back with that group of people. Small group, 12 people or so. That's not reaching a mass of people. How do we get to a broader set of people? How do we get to a deeper kind of group within those organizations? That's why we set up this customer innovation community. And that was all about taking the best that we've got, the best that our customers have, and then hosting kind of regular, currently virtual events still, you know, to, to drive some of that and help us sort of spread our, our message more broadly and more deeply within those organizations. That's really helped us um, amplify our message, but also um, allowed us to, you know, tier the audience in various ways so that we can say the right things to the right people at the right times. I think that's, you know, that's bringing us to that level of evolving the ABM model, I think. You know, it's where kind of that kind of exec engagement and kind of, you know, stakeholder engagement kind of meets ABM. But well, well, I think this is quite interesting because it's quite easy to just think that really creative ABM, maybe as I might have tried to get to in my previous question, really creative ABM is all in the execution. But what you're suggesting is, yes, that's right, but ultimately it's in the message that you're trying to get in front of the people, right? It's not just about birthday cakes and cricket bats, <laughs> no. almost, which is basically what I was alluding to. You know, what about how you're getting your message in, in front of people, but actually it's about the message itself. And then the delivery mechanism could be quite simple or it could be far more tailored and unique, but it depends on the circumstance. Yeah, look, I mean, I've got examples that we've we've done things like that in, you know, current role, previous roles, where we've, you know, sent radio controlled Formula One cars to, you know, a group of people at a, a leading bank and they've been racing them up and down the corridors, perhaps. You know, we've turned up at pitches um, where... So two, we were pitching to a distributor, let's call them. And rather than turn up to pitch with, you know, usual PowerPoint and, you know, people in front of them, we drove in all of the messaging in the back of a radio controlled truck, right? Might seem gimmicky, but actually we knew that one of the senior stakeholders was really into his RC cars. So doing that related to that, they're a logistics company. There's a link with a lorry. Yeah. And actually, I think we were we were last on that day, you know, and your last of five pitches, you know, everybody's probably going to be quite flat, you know, four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon or something. And all of a sudden everybody's energy was up and they're really receptive to what we did. They said, really creative, fantastic, you know, really made us think about you in a different way. Did you win the pitch? We did. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair enough. That's gimmicky, know, right? I, yeah. In some ways, but it's actually it's relates but back it's to the insight. In insight. Yeah. That's, I think, yeah, yeah. this is the key thing. And if you're doing... Because ABM is all around personalization. And if you're finding out the insights which are personal to the individual, because people are individuals, that will mean that with every activity you are taking that step forward, you are being creative because mm. you've got to respond to that. If you are just taking that sort of generic approach, then you're not following personalization. So you should be guided by what you can find out about that individual and the angle that you take. But that's the important point, right? Mm. Ground it in the insight and what yeah. you know, as you say, not just feel like, how can we be bold and, mm. you know, be more colourful than the next guys. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, it goes back to the conversation we had at the start, which is if you're going to start an ABM program and you're going to commit to it, you have to commit to being extremely personalised and you have to commit to making sure you've got the insight and research to back up the personalisation. For sure. And it's, you know, it's something that we see a lot, right? As I mentioned earlier, I don't think people quite sometimes understand 
the uh, importance of doing that really rigorously and really properly in, in some circles, because we're in a world right now, certainly in the marketing space, where certain things are fads and trends and they come and go. And, you know, with the so many technologies and so many new elements of marketing, it's quite hard to keep up sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, is that ABM has been here for probably about 10, 15 years now, quite prevalent in the B2B marketing world, mm-hmm. especially, but also it's proven results, right? So if you're going to set up a plan, and obviously there'll be a lot of people listening to this that go, we've been doing it for years, but there's going to be some that haven't, right? But if you're going to do it, you have to commit to doing it hyper-personalized and also founded in that research and insights. I think that's very, very good advice. Yeah, I think so. And I think also, you know, what's important is everybody's under pressure to deliver in the short term and the long term. ABM is part of the long-term strategy. You need to have other things which you're also delivering in the short term, that's right. And what I always say to people when they're thinking about, you know, when, when we're talking about programs which aren't going to deliver, you know, necessarily this year, is like, you know what, we'll get to January next year and we'll have the same conversation. But this longer-term activity that we've been doing this year, 2022, mm. will set you in good stead for January 2023 onwards, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have you know, the short and the long, both, yeah. both things together. Yeah, and for me, and I completely agree with, with Richard's summary you gave there about everything needs to start with with insights. But I think one of the biggest learnings actually from the conversation we've had is around the timeframes of ABM. I think a lot of marketers erroneously think that this is actually quite a quick return activity. But well, if I'm being super targeted, then obviously I'll get my results quicker. But it is something which is a longer term investment and you yield the results, as you say, within that sort of 18 month to two year horizon. And I think that that mindset shift is going to be one of the most important things for marketers to embrace. Yeah, if they're going to be able to run the program successfully, but almost most importantly, make sure that they are getting that continued business buy in and support for an ABM program. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously to segue from that, the it's massive importance on making sure that you've got a shorter term strategy to make sure mm-hmm. that the wheels aren't completely falling off mm-hmm. for the short term, because obviously we can't have businesses that are just built on uh, or two or three years worth of uh, marketing. Well, I suppose some businesses can, but a lot of businesses <laughs> yeah. won't be able to do that. Well, from the start, yeah, you can't defer that kind of gratification that long, right? You've got to have both. But over time, that long term becomes, that's my point, becomes next year's short term. Yeah, no, no. And I think it's a very, very good way of looking at it. I suppose that you still need that buy-in initially for the short term yeah. and then that long term to get the short term results. So it's the first year hump, if you like, and yeah. you've always got kind of a Trough. domino effect thereafter mm. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, it's quite an interesting one but still you know us marketers as we see it you know when budgets get uh, scrutinized or company performance quarter by quarter isn't quite there you know sometimes the buck stops with marketing a little too early and it's about making sure that we're trying to have the right conversations with the business to make sure that we're planting that seed for the next tree to grow and the next tree to grow and the next tree to grow but ultimately we're still needing to see the trees grow to a certain size year after year. That was a shit analogy. Sorry. <laughs> great. great. Um, <laughs> oh, I know what you're getting yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah, like, boreal yeah. <laughs> I think also just, and you've kind of alluded to it there, is that you can't just say, well, what's, what's your marketing plan for this year? ABM. It's You can't put all your eggs in one basket if we're going to use a sort of another metaphor. Like your strategy has to be plural. It can't just rely on that singular approach. So yeah, absolutely look at ABM in terms of how you're going to get that really, really high value, but over that sort of time frame, And then look at the more sort of like tactical elements that you can do in year to make sure that you are getting those results. Mm. So I think the plurality is really, really important within uh, marketing strategies. For sure, balance. Yeah. 
Any final thoughts from you, Mark? I think this is a golden age for ABM and mm. you know exec engagement. I think there's lots of organisations who have seen the value of ABM and and exec engagement. As I say, to do it right, as I've said all along, you know, it takes time, takes investment, and takes commitment across the organisation, and takes a needs alignment between marketing, between sales, and also senior management to be successful, really. And fundamentally, it starts with insight. Insights, 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 insight. No, great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We always like to end the show with a couple of uh, slightly out there questions, but uh, it's nice for our audience to hear. Who have you learnt the most from in B2B in your career? Oh, that's a really tough question. I know. Everyone says that, and then they can't. There are so many people that I'd like to thank. Diplomatic (laughs) response, yeah. Gosh, I mean reading you know re- read lots of people you know all of the time to learn stuff you know reading your book at the moment rich yeah. what do you think be honest i like the way you've written it yes yeah. yeah i'm only chapter four or five or something like that maybe a little bit further you got to that. the ketchup yet uh, yes i did i have got to the ketchup piece <laughs> so basically what I you like just said that. is you've just learned the most uh, <laughs> from me because that's the first oh, there was a clear hesitation he liked the way it was written, written. I, I like the idea of the hierarchy of needs changing that and yeah and um what I did like about the head ketchup thing, I think what you said after that was something along the lines of luck finds you if you're kind of put the effort in and you're smart and there you go. I don't even know I wrote that. So it was something like luck that. finds you. I don't think you said that. I don't I don't think it's exactly <laughs> those words, but I kind of with the impression that if you put the effort in then you know You make your own luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's been a mantra of my career. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I think you know, my my meandering kind of nature of my career like, hmm. yeah you're right sort of stuff does find you by kind of default if you're kind of moving in the right direction I think but so, anyone else you know other than me <laughs> you know in B2B marketing I would use your suspects right you know the Byron Sharps the yeah. Mark Ritsons the yeah. Seth yeah. Godins you know all that kind of usual crew basically anyone with a provocative view well there you go yeah you got to challenge the status quo haven't you be provocative mm. and that is a great um, mantra for um, ABM I think Oh, there you go. I mean, it's mad of our business. So uh, that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> well, yeah, sign. Exactly. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Mark. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure much. to be here. Good stuff. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. B2B Marketing Solved is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more about us, head to allen-agency.com and make sure to search for Marketing Solved in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future golden nuggets from the biggest names in b2b marketing on behalf of the team here at allen thanks for listening